Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. My name is Kyle Bruce, and I'll be your moderator for today's show, and I'm joined by, by authors Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage, our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a difference. Today's show is a continuation of the segment of Managing to Make a Difference focused on building extraordinary teams. Uh, today, we're going to cover several chapters in this section, specifically a focus on top performers, avoiding the Peter Principle, not leading people on about their potential, and facing the reality that sometimes firing somebody is the caring thing to do. So we do have a lot to cover in today's show. Let's go ahead and just get started, Larry and Kim. Uh, You focus in Chapter 36 on investing your time with top performers. This seems to be kind of uh, an obvious topic. Uh, Of course, managers should be investing their time with their top performers, but but why is this important enough to garner an entire chapter in managing to make a difference? Why, Why did you include this topic? We, we included the topic because new managers, uh, new supervisors in particular, are taught just the opposite. Uh, they're often taught that one of the one, one aspect of their job is to get their poor performers to perform as good as their best performers on the team. And so when they get that direction from their boss, naturally, they invest a lot of time trying to make that happen. And it's a bad bet. I'm going to ask my, my co-author, Kim Turnage, to discuss what, what are the benefits of investing time with uh, one's top performers on any given team? Well, I think the benefits are, are rich. One is that you're getting the best information from the people who are the best performers. So they give you access to some things that are going on in their world, in the world of the people that you manage, from a perspective of a top performer. You also spend, spending more time with those people is investing more in their growth. And when you do that, you have the opportunity to get more growth than you do when you're investing that same amount of time in somebody who's a weaker performer. And let me interject here. Counterintuitively, it is your top performers who have the most potential to keep growing and improving their performance rather than your weakest performers. And I understand this is counterintuitive, but there is a difference between room for improvement and potential for improvement. And your top performers, believe it or not, are the individuals who have the most potential for improvement. So as a manager, you want to invest your time and your efforts doing things that are most likely to give you the most gains in overall team performance. And so spending your time with top performers is one of the things you can do. You can make an adjustment. If any of our listeners are currently on that agenda, of trying to get your worst performers to perform as good as your best performers. Uh, We encourage you, it's in the book and in this podcast, we are encouraging you to spend more time with your top performers. Uh, This uh, Dr. William E. Hall, who conducted the research upon which the Talent Plus uh, methodology is based, and by the way, we all work for the company known as Talent Plus, Dr. William E. Hall 
coined the phrase the the uh, uh, the law of parsimony, and what he meant by that is each of us has 24 hours in a day. We're all equal in that respect. We get 24 hours, no more, no less. And each of our listeners here are already making decisions about who they invest time with during that 24 hours. You're already making those decisions. And if you're making the decision to devote a lot of time on your poor performers, we're encouraging you to switch. Kim, what other benefits come from investing time with your top performers? You're going to enhance your ability to retain them. Uh, They're your top performers, and your competitors know who they are. Your competitors want them, and they can start spending some time with those top performers and maybe look like that's a really good opportunity to move over to. Um, So you're securing your relationship with that person, reaffirming for them their importance to you, their importance to your organization, and enhancing the likelihood that they're going to stay. Yes, I just, here's a question for our listeners. Who do you think your competitors want, your best people or your poor people? I mean, who do you want to get from your competitors? Do you want to get their best performers or do you want to get the people who are struggling? Of course, it's the best performers. And I'm going to reiterate what Kim just said. When you spend time with them, you're, you're deepening your relationship with them and your, your commitment to helping them get better. And the more you do that, the less likely it is that somebody can come along and get them interested in looking at another opportunity. So you're increasing the likelihood that they're going to be loyal to you and that you're going to retain them. So Kim and Larry, what about this age old adage of your team is only as strong as its weakest link? You know, I hear that all the time from managers and, you know, they focus on their weakest players. Um, how do you help somebody through understanding that, hey, a team isn't um, as strong as its weakest link? That, that's such a common point of view. People repeat it without even examining uh, whether or not they, they think it's, it's uh, correct or not. And we repeat it so often, we just accepted it true, as true without examining it. But we, when we examine it, we find out that this phrase – this assertion started with the assertion that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And somebody then slipped it over and said, okay, a team is only as strong as its weakest player. Well, a team and a chain are very different. And if you, if it really were true that a team is only as strong as its weakest player, before the World Series, which is going to be upon us here soon, the commentators would be saying, well, teams are only as strong as their weakest players. So why don't we compare the weakest players on this team, uh, on the National League team, uh, with the weakest players on the American League team? And that's how we're going to predict who wins the World Series. And you, you, they're, they're not going to waste their time on that because it is true of chains that they are only as strong as their weakest link. But the thing about teams is teams are as strong as their best players. That's why sports commentators talk about the best players on the team and what they can do. And coaches 
professional coaches of professional sports teams are going to spend most of their time with their best players because it's their best players who are going to carry them to uh, the championship. And, well, let's, and go, let's go back to what you were saying before, Larry, about potential. Who has the greatest potential to make a play or do something that will dramatically change the course of that game? The best player or the weakest player? Kim, I know you, you coach track. How do you apply this principle in coaching the, the, the young people that you coach? <laughs> well, track is not that much of a team sport, actually. Um, there are a few events that are team events, but I mainly coach individuals, and I apply it to each person um, with a focus on each person's strengths and weaknesses. Everybody's got both. But we spend most of our time working on what that person can do well and how they can do it better or how they can do more of it. If there's something, if there's a piece of a technique that they just can't get, if they just can't get it, I don't spend a lot of time on it. I work on the other things that I can make better. You know, and how do track competitors get into the Olympics? Well, they start off with a whole lot of natural talent. They have good coaches, and they work really, really hard. But, but they have to go through various competitions, right? Absolutely. And so they go through local competitions, regional competitions, statewide competitions. And, and if they keep winning, they get to the national competition to see who gets on the Olympics, right? Yes. And, and many of them are already competing at the international level by the time they actually become Olympic athletes as well. And the so coaches, there is international competition that's not the Olympics. And the coaches who coach people at that level, they don't want to just coach anybody. So even though they're individual performers, they, they get sorted out because those coaches want to spend their time with the best people. And it's, sure. it's, it's the same thing with musicians. You don't get to study with the world's best guitarist unless you go through numerous, numerous auditions because that guitarist, it's law of parsimony. There are only so many, there are only so many students that guitarists can take in a, in a given period of time, and that's it. It's finite. And so uh, even when people are individual performers, the best coaches and the best teachers still want to have some way to invest their time with the people who have the most potential, and they're typically the best performers of whatever it is, whether it's track or whether it's music or whatever it might be. Well, that brings up another fallacy, which is that the best performers don't need a coach as much as the poor performers do. But to your point, Larry, show me a, an Olympic athlete who doesn't have a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we recently, uh, we, we recently, uh, were able to witness a, uh, uh, a boxing match, uh, between, uh, Floyd Mayweather and McGregor, Colin McGregor. And I assure you, they have teams of people. They have one primary coach, but they have teams of people. They have nutritionists. They have fitness coaches. They have because they know they can't be at their best unless they get constant coaching 
in from a coach who is the right coach for them, for their particular personality and their their style of fighting. So, Kim and, and Larry, um, you know, I want to continue talking about this, but we've only got about a minute or so left uh, before our break. And in our, our next chapter in this section, we talked about we, we talk about the Peter Principle uh, in, in managing to make a difference. And what the heck is the Peter Principle? It sounds like uh, some sort of, you know, weird thing that goes on. And I'm really curious to hear more about the Peter Principle. And I'd love for you when we come back from our break to know how this is important uh, and how we should avoid it as managers. So uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little more about the Peter Principle. Um, for our audience, if, uh, if you've got some feedback, if you have questions, we would really love to hear uh, from you. So go ahead and click uh, on the email host button just above the podcast description. We'll work in your topics, your questions, your comments uh, into a later podcast or potentially into this one. Uh, and we'd love to answer audience questions. So if you've got a question or curiosity, go ahead and add that now. Uh, we'll take a quick break here and we'll come back and we'll talk more about the Peter Principle. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been uh, focusing on the concept of building extraordinary teams. In our first segment, 
we discussed the power of investing in top performers in the law of parsimony. You know, really, we focused on, you know, most managers are taught the opposites uh, by other managers and, and, you know, focus on people who aren't doing as well versus top performers, uh, you know, investing more time in, in creating growth in, in some of your individuals who have the most uh, potential for improvement, not just room for improvement. And we really talked about a couple of fallacies, one of those being that your best players don't need a coach, as well as that a team is as strong as its weakest link and knowing that uh, a team is uh, as, as strong as its strongest players. You know, we also were thinking about a question during the break is, you know, what happens, Larry and Kim, what happens when uh, a coach or the coach spends more time with the wrong players, not the star players, but uh, the wrong players? What happens typically to uh, the coach and the players in that situation? Well, what happens is that the players who are not getting the time that uh, they feel they merit become disengaged. And this is going to happen in the business. If you have somebody who is performing well and they're not hearing from you, they're not getting recognition, they're not getting your time, uh, and other people are getting your time, that good performer is going to become disengaged and you're making them much more vulnerable to being recruited away. And I also asked you about the Peter Principle. What – what the heck is the Peter Principle? I, you know, what is this all about? And you you write about it in in one of the chapters of the book, and you know, chapter thirty nine. And I'm I'm just, what is the Peter well, Principle? You know, this principle was invented by uh, a gentleman named Lawrence Peter, who co-wrote a book with Raymond Hull in 1969, and this was an important insight. That whose whose value continues on to this day. And the title of the book was The Peter Principle, Why Things Always Go Wrong. And the basic thesis of that book was that the way people get promoted is by doing a great job in the job they're in. So you do a great job in the job you're in now. And on that basis, you're a star in that job. On that basis, you get promoted to the next level up. Maybe you become the shift supervisor and you do a great job as shift supervisor and you get promoted to the department head. You do a great job as a department head and you get promoted maybe to a vice president or some executive type position, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what, what they observed was you keep getting promoted until you get into a position that you actually can't do very well. And you just keep getting promoted until you finally get to a position that's beyond your talent, beyond your competence, and you don't do well on it, and you get stuck there. But if you get a lot of people who have been promoted up to their level of incompetence, which is a phrase they use in the book, you get promoted up to your level of incompetence. If you get an organization that promotes on that basis, you get a lot of people who are in their level uh, of incompetence, and that's why things go wrong, because there are too many people who are in that space. That's what the Peter Principle is, and it's a principle that holds today. So how do we avoid it? You avoid it by instead of promoting people based on how they're doing in their job today, you ask yourself, who has the potential to do this job that we're thinking of promoting into, let's say it's a supervisor job, who has the potential to be a great supervisor? Very, very often, it's not going to be the star performer in the rank and file job, in the 
in the non-supervisory job. One of the easiest places to see this is in sales. Mm -hmm. Your very best sales rep, based on his or her great results in selling, gets promoted into a position of sales manager. And unfortunately for everybody involved, there are too many times when that that person has no management talent. They're a terrific salesperson, but they just don't have management talent. They can't help other people be better salespeople. They can't do the administration or they don't want to, and et cetera, et cetera. So they get into this management position and they screw it all up. Uh, so what you've done is you take your best salesperson is now not selling. So number, that's just shooting yourself in the left foot. And then you put in a bad manager over everybody else and you've just shot yourself in the right foot. And the results of the sales team is going to go in the wrong direction pretty rapidly. That's, and we all have seen that happen way too often in our career. But it's not just in sales. We, we, if, you're, if you're even in your 30s, uh, you've probably been around long enough to have been in, on some team where the wrong person was promoted into management based on their great performance uh, where they were, but now they're, they're just not a good manager and uh, things are going in the wrong direction. So that's how you avoid the Peter principle. It's by thinking about someone's potential to perform in the next job rather than how they're doing in this job. And how they're doing in this job is not a good predictor of how they might do in the next job. Okay, so let's say using your example, you have a just gung-ho, you know, high achiever who they get to their level of excellence and they've got their um, sight set on that that management role. And you have said, I'm not going to Peter principal this individual. How do you get through that conversation when that individual who's just gung-ho, goal-oriented says, my, my next role is going to be your job or that management role, and I'm going to get it. And, you know, come hell or high water, they want that role. How do you work through that, that conversation even Kim, though you know they're not a good fit for it? Kim Turnage has coached numerous people who have to make this decision in this situation. So, uh, Kim, what say you? I say have the difficult conversation. It's never easy uh, to have that conversation with someone, but they need to hear. Look, you don't have all the pieces that would make you highly successful here, and you do have all the pieces who make, that make you very highly successful at what you're doing. How do we get you you know, re-engaged, how do we get you some growth opportunities and some ways to keep growing that are consistent with what you're really great at and not put your focus into this area where I can tell you you're going to be less satisfied and less successful. Kim, Sometimes I, I, people need that hard conversation. So I'm going to do a little role play with you. I'm going to be in the position of the guy you're coaching and I've got to have this conversation with somebody, and I say to you, well, what if he says to me, uh, well, what do I have to learn to qualify myself for this next position? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of things that you could learn, but even if we spent a lot of time and effort learning it, you would still not be as good at it as you are at what you're doing right now. But it's been my career goal to be in that position. Let's think about some different goals that are more suited to you. Let's work with you to think about what you're good at, what you really like doing today, 
Why has that been your goal in the past? Well, I want to make more money. Hey, let's figure out how you can make more money doing what you're really good at, because we need you to keep doing it. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I knew you'd have, well, I knew you'd have great, great answers to all those questions. And, yes and, and no, I know many of I our... Know. Yes and no, but I know I'm not answering what the real need is there. The real need is I I see this as my future, and I want to have that growth because that's what everybody sees as growth. And part of what we have to do as coaches is to help people understand that what everybody sees and defines as the growth path might not be the very best growth path for you. And I want to help you find the very best one for you. Yeah, you know, there aren't many star sports players who become coaches of professional teams. And there's a reason for that. Just because you're the best player doesn't mean you're going to be uh, an excellent coach. It doesn't mean that in any way, shape, or form. Because, again, it's like selling and being a sales manager. They're two entirely different endeavors as you were saying, when we come back, and I, I know we've got a few minutes here until we go on our next break, but and I don't have time to tell uh, one or two stories of when I have been in a situation of having to tell somebody that they are not going to be given the opportunity to do that next job and how that how that turned out. I've I got one success and one non-success in, in how it turned out. And it leads into our next topic, which is don't lead people on. This is what we're talking about. Not only are you not going to give them that, uh, that promotion or that next opportunity that they seek if they don't have the potential for excellence in there, but you're going to be honest with them. You're going to be straightforward with them. You're not going to say, well, maybe next year or maybe if you go take these courses or maybe, 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 maybe uh, you're not going to blow smoke at them you, if, if it's just not going to happen for them. That's what you're going to tell them. And it's, it's, I, we all understand this is not an easy conversation to have. But when we come back, uh, in terms of not leading people on and avoiding the, the Peter principle, I've got, uh, I've got a couple of stories from my own experience about going through this with a couple of different people. Well, perfect. Well, we'll come back and we'll hear those stories from Larry because he doesn't like to tell stories, but yeah, we'll, right. we'll pull it out of him, right? All right. Well, uh, we're going to go into a break here, uh, but if you haven't yet had a chance to uh, bulk order your books for your whole team, you can go to uh, www.800ceoread.com where you can get, uh, if you get six or more books, you can get a 20% discount. So I know everybody probably wants to get managing to make a difference for all of their teams. Uh, they can go ahead and do that. Also, um, some of the topics we're talking about today and, and in past uh, topics, we've, we've put some supplemental materials out there for our listeners to use. So if you're looking for some supplemental uh, material to use as part of your growth uh, as a manager and how you want to manage to make a difference, you can go to our microsite at managetomakeadifference.com and you can take a look at some of those supplemental um, uh, materials for you to help you as you work with your own teams. Uh, So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back to talk more with Larry and Kim. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at TalentPlus.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. If you happen to be just joining us, we have been continuing our discussion on building extraordinary teams. And we've really covered the law of parsimony and focusing on top performers. Also, not Peter principling people. That's kind of hard to say, actually. Not Peter principling people. Uh, as, and, and now we really want to talk about some tactics for helping pe- uh, team members who may want to move into the top spot uh, but may not have the talent for, for leading others. We also really um, talked about two fallacies that you know a team is only as strong as its weakest link, which we know is, is not true, and then that top performers don't need coaches because even top performers need coaches and they have the most uh, potential for, for growth. Uh, we left the last segment really wanting to tell a couple of stories from Larry about uh, not leading people on and about uh, being truthful with them and talk to them about um, you know, what's a good fit for them. So I'm going to turn over to Larry and let him tell us a couple of stories. And that's, that's also how, how one avoids the Peter principle. But you have to be truthful with people. 
And so here's story number one. I was working with a real estate developer. He was a CEO of his own real estate development company. He was very successful and he had a general counsel. And before I started working with him, he had promised the general counsel that he was going to mentor him so that the general counsel could progress from being the lawyer to being a, an actual real estate developer, the guy who made the deals, the guy who put the deals together, not the guy who did the legal work on the deals. And he had already promised him that. And so as I started to work with these uh, two gentlemen, uh, I formed the opinion that the general counsel did not have the talent, did not have the potential to really do the real estate development role with excellence. And furthermore, that because he didn't have the potential, he wouldn't like it. And as it happened, when I voiced that opinion to the CEO, he, he said, yeah, I've seen that, but I made a commitment to this guy. What am I going to do? And I said, oh, well, why don't you let me talk to him and see, and we'll see what happens. I, why don't you let me deliver this message? Because we, we agreed, the CEO and I, it was not going to be a good idea for the company, and it was not going to be a good idea for the general counsel to do this. And so uh, I went and had a talk with the general counsel, and I, I, I explained to him why I thought that this was not a good career move for him, that he wouldn't enjoy it. And one of the things that I knew about him was that as an attorney, he had a hard time asking his clients to pay when they weren't paying. He had a very hard time asking his clients to pay. He didn't like, oddly, he's an attorney, but he didn't like that kind of confrontation. And uh, he, he just, he didn't like that. And one of the things I know about real estate developers is their life is asking people to do things. They're asking city councils to change zoning laws. They're asking contractors to do this. They're, they're at, they're, they spend their entire life asking people to do things. And often they get a lot of pushback. And, and it's one of the reasons this is not such an easy thing to do. Uh, and I, I said to this individual, this, this is going to be your life from now on is asking people these things, you don't like to do that. Because he wasn't a litigator. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, he was a real estate attorney. And so there was no litigation involved there. And uh, he got angry at me. And basically, he threw me out of his office. And I went back and reported this to the CEO. And it so happened I was coming back the, the very next week. But, uh, but before I get to the very next week, at least the CEO and I felt good about the fact that this general counsel now knew that he was not going to be given this opportunity in this particular organization. And, and uh, I'm sure he had some words with the CEO uh, subsequent to my conversation with him. In any event, I was scheduled to come back there the following week. I came back the following week. I was in the CEO's uh, waiting room and his assistant said to me, Hey, you know what? Before you go in, the general counsel wants to talk to you again. And uh, uh, so before you meet with the CEO, would you please go over and talk to him? So I went to this gentleman's office. I sat down and 
he said to me, you know, I went home and had a long discussion with my wife about what you said. And upon thinking about it, I agree with you. This is not the kind of day I would want to have day in and day out. This is not the kind of thing. It's not the way I want to lead my life. Uh, and, and, and by the way, the guy was a genius in his role as a real estate attorney. And the CEO sang his praises about how creative he was, about figuring out solutions to move deals forward, how he could be in a room with literally thousands of pages of documents and, and always put his hand on, right on the right document that was needed at the time, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, uh, I, I coached the CEO to get better at praising these things and recognizing them. And so the, the gentleman, uh, the general counsel decided to stay in the role he was in and the CEO got better at acknowledging the great value he was delivering in that role. And that's one that I won, where everybody was feeling pretty good about the outcome. One that I didn't win occurred when I was in the hotel business. I was VP of HR for the Portman Hotel Company. We were building a hotel in San Francisco. And uh, the director of sales and marketing uh, resigned, got a job offer and resigned and went somewhere else. That left the job opening there. Our number one sales guy marched right into his boss's office. The boss was the uh, managing director of the hotel and said, I want that job. I want to be the director of sales and marketing. I want that promotion. And uh, we determined that his management talent was weak. So he did not have the potential to perform with excellence in that role, even though he was our best sales guy. And I was once again elected to deliver this message. And uh, so I was in the office with him and I said, look, we love you in a sales role. Uh, tell me why you want this promotion. Why do you want it? He said, well, it's been my career goal ever since I got into the sales in the hotel business. It's been my career goal to get into this role of director of sales and marketing. Uh, I said, uh, okay. Uh, I said, is it the title? I said, because if it's the title, I can give you the title. I was the VP of HR, so I could do that. I could give you the title. He said, well, it's also more money. I said, well, suppose I changed your compensation system so that you hit your sales goals, you'd make more money than the director of sales and marketing. He said, really, you could do that? I said, yeah, we could do that. And uh, he thought about it and he said, no, it's my career goal. I want it. And he did want it because of his ego. He wanted the role. He didn't just want the title because I told him I'd, I'd give him the title. I wouldn't give him the job, but I'd give him the title. And uh, uh, so, um, and I knew when I walked out of that office, I knew we were going to lose him. He it was just clear that every, every reason I could think of to persuade him that this was not the right role for him just wasn't enough. And I knew we were going to lose him. And I knew we were going to lose our number one salesperson. But I also knew that if I promoted him to this job, I'd be losing my number one salesperson from selling. So I knew right then we were going to lose our number one salesperson. And uh, 
he went out and got a job as the director of sales and marketing of the world-famous Pebble Beach Country Club. Uh, and he had the resume to do it. And, and he got the job that he wanted. But I sleep well at night because I don't think that job would have been a good fit for him. And when you're not in a good fit and you're struggling to succeed, you develop health problems. The constant stress gives you high blood pressure. It can give you heart problems. It can give you other kinds of problems that are related to stress. And, and I sleep well at night. We lost him from the organization, but I was not a party to putting him in a position where I didn't think he could excel. And so when you have these conversations with people, you win some and you lose some. But again, what I feel good about is we didn't lead him on. I didn't say on this occasion, you know, you're not going to get it, but maybe in the future you'll get it. Because I could have done that. He would have stayed in the sales world, maybe, on, on the, particularly if he trusted me. Particularly, we have a good relationship and he trusts me and I say that to him. He's going to believe me. And maybe he stays in the role in the hopes that next time around we'll have seen something. It'll be his turn. But I, I'm very proud of the fact, quite frankly, that I don't do that with people. Even if the organization is going to suffer some heartburn uh, because now that the person knows that, they might be able to go out and get that position somewhere else. Well, and, and you think of the the negative stress that occurs on the people that that person is managing as well. You know, yes. you think of you know it's not just the individual, but it's also now you've got a team, and so if you start losing, if you promote somebody to a management role that's a wrong fit, you know, then you've got all that that team that's underneath them that maybe now having a miserable life as well because they have a terrible manager who doesn't have the talent to be in that role. So it, it it's a big organizational impact when you peter principle somebody or you lead people on to sort of say well maybe maybe next time so i it's a much bigger effect than just you and that one person because of the the team aspect of that all right well that's uh that's going to lead us into the next segment here so we're going to take a break um we're going to talk in our next segment really um about you know how we can help people when their goal, much similar to, to what you've been talking about here, is that you know when their goal is to do something, maybe they don't have a talent for, maybe some tactics uh, to be able to do that. So, and, and the fact that also sometimes firing somebody is the caring thing to do, and that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? But you know, you and Kim like to be a little bit out there. So, uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, when firing is actually caring, which seems kind of weird. But uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll talk more to Larry and Kim about managing to make a difference. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. 
Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. Today we've uh, been devoting the continuing, con- devoted to continuing our discussion on building extraordinary teams. We've covered a lot of uh, material actually in the past couple, three segments. Um, we've talked about the law of parsimony and focusing on top performers, not Peter principling people, as well as not leading people on when you know they won't be able to fit into a leadership role that they might have their eyes on. But what happens when you have one of those hard-charging, no-pain, no-gain, goal-oriented, gritty individuals, Larry and Kim, that just keeps on pushing to get a career goal that despite their tenacity is just isn't a fit for them? Uh, what do you do? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure our listeners can all think of someone that's like this. I, I know that I can. Um, what do you do? Uh, we've talked about that a little bit, but then also – this idea of firing somebody is the caring thing to do. I want to hear more about that because that's also really intriguing. Well, first of all, and I know I've been bogarting the the microphone, Kim, and I'm going to turn it over to you in a second. But I, I, the end of my bogarting here is <laughs> is what do you do with that hard charging person? Yeah. Do you remember the TV series Mash? I loved Mash. You remember Klinger? I loved Klinger. He's one of my favorite characters. And what was Klinger always trying to do? He was trying to get out of the army. By what? By doing what? By getting a Section 8 by wearing dresses. Right. And what And what did his superior officers do about that? They called a psychologist in to evaluate him to help see if he was nuts or not. But in general, all the time, they just kind of laughed and, and just said, no, you're not getting out. And they all went on with their business. And that's what you do with this hard-charging person mm-hmm. is you just keep – you. you you have to be honest, and you say you you just say I've told you that's not going to happen for you. Now, if 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 it's a sales situation and they're a salesperson, they're not going to leave you alone. If they're a good salesperson, they're going to keep asking. That's right. But you just have to keep saying no, and uh, push them back out there and let them use that talent on a sales prospect instead of you. <laughs> but uh, but you do what they did with Max Klinger. 
you, you, you understand they're, they're going to keep trying. And you just say no, and you move on with life. Have you just created a new principle, Larry? The Max Clear. The principle? Max Clear principle. <laughs> Might have to get that uh, patented. <laughs> so, on, on firing being the caring thing to do, Kim Turnage, what comes to mind for you? Well, I actually have a story that, that that's quite personal on that. Um, and I've, I've seen this happen. I, I saw this happen very recently. The thing about it is you sometimes do have those hard-charging people, and even when they're failing, they won't quit. They'll keep trying. And that's when firing becomes the caring thing to do. And I've, I've seen this happen in some young athletes. Um, one in particular was a very gifted athlete, um, had lots of success at the high school level um, and was one of the finest competitors I've ever seen. I never saw this kid not rise to the occasion to compete. Moved to the college level, and the way things change at college with the workload, the physical workload, and some of the expectations um, for how your performance is going to increase, did not succeed. Um, That failure was evident. That failure was painful for this young man. He knew he wasn't succeeding. He knew he wasn't performing at the level he wanted to. He thought about quitting, but he wouldn't quit. And at the end of the season, he had determined, all right, I'm going to give it one more year. But his coach did the caring thing, and fired him and didn't renew his scholarship and told him, if you want to um, try out again next year for the team, didn't even retain his roster spot, said, if you want to try out again next year, you can. It's not that we don't love you. We think you're a great kid. We care about you. We want to give you the opportunity to try to earn your spot back, but we have to fire you, which, you know, the word fire isn't used. But that's an example of firing being the caring thing to do. This is someone who can't succeed, who knows they're not succeeding, who wants desperately to succeed, and is such a competitor and such a hard driver that, this, that they won't quit. Yeah, and, and uh, that's a great story. And, and I hope that young man was able to redirect his, his uh, remarkable drive uh, towards something that was more suited to his talents, uh, but firing him gave him the opportunity to do that. And I, I am a, a boxing fan, and I, I see this happen all the time in boxing. It takes a remarkable amount of courage to step in a boxing ring, particularly a professional boxing ring. And, and uh, their, their, their egos are such that they, they just can't conceive that they're going to lose. And furthermore, they will not give up. It's very unmacho. Uh, to say, I'm done. And so they don't. And they have to rely on the referee and the people in their corner to decide, you know what, this person has had enough. There's no chance they're going to win. And that's what happened in the McGregor uh, 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 fight uh, recently. The referee stopped it because it was clear that uh, McGregor was done. But he is such a courageous individual that he would have never said that on his own. And, and uh, so they, it is the caring thing to do. And I would like 
people as we come to the final minutes of this broadcast. I would like people to know that when somebody who reports to you, who somebody reports to you and they're not succeeding, they know it before you do. In their heart of hearts, they know they're not succeeding. It doesn't feel good to them. And again, it's going to create health problems. Over a period of time, it's going to create stress. It's going to, uh, it's going to nag away at their self-esteem. It's going to chip away at that. So their self-esteem is going to suffer and their physical health is going to suffer. And when and how do you know when it's time? You know when it's time on the day you wake up and you know in your heart of hearts that you have done everything in your power, that you have tried as hard as you can try, that this person has tried as hard as she he or she can try, and it's just not going extra effort isn't going to make a difference. On the day you know that, that's when you know it's time. When you're convinced that extra effort just isn't going to make this happen for that person. It is not kind to leave them in that space. And that's why it's the caring thing to do. It's going to be painful. But if you really care about something, somebody, you're willing to go through some pain to do something that is, that is good for them. And so despite the fact that the the conversation will be uncomfortable and it will be painful for the person, if it's good for them, if you honestly believe this is what's good for them, you do it. Nevertheless, that's what we mean when we say sometimes firing someone is the caring thing to do. Well, and I'd extend that just a little bit. Kyle kind of ended up the last segment with a, a great observation that, you know, as a manager, your job is to take care of individual people. Um, your job is also to take care of your entire team and the organization as a whole. And your customer. And your customer. I mean, you've got a lot of stakeholders that you're really responsible for. And the caring thing to do, you need to think about what that is for all of those stakeholders and try to find the best solution for them all. And their interests are not at odds. It's the caring thing to do for all of the stakeholders. Well, Larry and Kim, all excellent points as as our audience focuses on building extraordinary teams. I think um, what you guys have talked about today is incredibly powerful. And I I see our next show, and we're going to continue on this topic around building extraordinary teams. And we're going to talk about advancing from a team to a family. And I'm I'm pretty excited about uh, that podcast. So can't wait to, to do that. Uh, as we leave today, I uh, wanted to leave just a little bit of a teaser for everybody. If you're looking for an exceptional speaker, if you're, you like Larry's stories, his, his humor, uh, and if you're looking for an engaging speaker for your next management training or conference or corporate meeting, I would highly recommend reaching out to Talent Plus to see if Larry would be a great fit for what you're going to be doing. He's available for speaking engagements now. He might bring a couple books. You just never know. But I'm sure there'll be a humorous story or two uh, in whatever he decides to do. Um, so join us next time. Uh, we, again, we're going to talk about advancing from a team to a family and how that uh, pertains to building extraordinary teams. So until that time, continue to manage to make a difference in those around you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference, 
with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.